I'm Kendall Gilding and welcome back to another My 30 Minutes Q&A. Woohoo, we made it. I'm excited because this means we've hit 20 episodes and we celebrate every 10 episodes by giving my previous guests and you, the listeners, a chance to turn the tables and ask me some questions. And before I get stuck into them, I just want to say thank you. If you're listening to this and you've tuned into the podcast before, I can't tell you how much it means to me that you've come on this journey. And if you are new here, well, welcome. I never started a podcast to make money, to boost my profile, or to make a full-time job out of this. I just love people, connecting with people and sharing their stories. As a journalist, that's what I've always loved to do. And I consider it a huge privilege when someone trusts you with their story. So a big thank you to everyone who's come on as a guest because it is incredibly important and special to me that I do justice to their story. This podcast was just a longer format way, more intimate way of me doing that. And that's part of the reason I've done every interview face-to-face because you can't fake chemistry when you're sitting opposite someone. And I find it's a lot more of a conversation and a bit less of a job interview than if we did it remotely online or via Zoom. That's not to say that I wouldn't ever do a Zoom interview because with COVID, you know, there's definitely the chance that that's where we could be headed. But I'm so thankful to sit opposite people and often they've been at my kitchen table or in those people's homes or like with Amy Shepard in the recording studio. So some really intimate places with people. So I'm so grateful for that. And I just love face-to-face communication. This episode will also be the last one for the season, being number 20. I'm taking a little break because I turn 30 next week and I've got some time off with my family. I set myself the really bold task of releasing an ep every week, which by some miracle we have achieved. I'm a bit like a duck, so looking serene on the surface and paddling like crazy underwater. I work five days a week. We've got a little kid. There's just been a lot going on. And when this isn't your sole job, one a week's a little bit crazy. So things are always a lot more work than they seem. I don't think people quite understand the level of commitment that often goes into things like this. So in all honesty, I've actually been neglecting some other areas of my life because I've been working on the podcast almost every single morning and night. So I'm looking forward to a little break and Looking forward to wrapping up this season with these questions. So thank you for being here and for listening. I pour my heart and soul into this and it means the world that you'd tune in. In the words of Brene Brown, you share with people who've earned the right to hear the story. And if you're here, I think you've earned that right. As always, I am super nervous. I actually don't enjoy being vulnerable like this and telling people what I think and feel, but here goes. Let's get stuck into the questions. The first one is from Amy Shepard, my most recent guest, and she says, how do you feel about turning 30? If you listen to our chat, you'd know that this is something we talked about. Amy turns 30 today on the day this is being released. So happy 30th, Amy. My birthday's next week. So we're only born eight days apart. How do I feel? Yeah, I feel good. I mean, I think it's just a number in many ways. And I've probably been 30 for a long time because I've always felt much older than my age. I am a total nana, routine, tidy, early to bed, super organized. I imagine when I hit 60, I'll be in my peak. All the things I've been doing forever will finally be cool for my age. But it is a pretty strange time to try and celebrate at the moment with coronavirus. You can't 
plan parties or travel in the way we used to. So that has definitely put a bit of a spanner in the works for my dream celebration. I wanted to hire a yacht on Sydney Harbour with my besties. No idea why. It's just one of those bucket list things that I'd always hoped to do. And I think my 30th was always on a bit of a pedestal because my husband's four years older than me and he had a rager of a party. And I thought like, awesome, when my birthday comes around, it's going to be incredible. (laughs) And I didn't know what 2020 was going to bring us. What I have learned during this time and just reflecting a bit in the few weeks leading up to my birthday, my love language has changed. If you don't know what love languages are, you need to find out there's five of them and it's the way you dominantly give and receive love. And mine has completely become quality time. I used to be a words of affirmation person and words will always definitely be in the mix because, you know, being a journalist and a speaker, that's kind of my jam. But I just want to be with my really close friends and family, but in small groups. So that's what I'm doing. Just a couple of small get togethers instead of one big party. And I think that'll nourish my soul the best is just quality time with the people that I really love. But in terms of being 30, yeah, I'm pretty content. There's nothing more I could have hoped for in in my life. I've got a beautiful family, a job that I really love and incredible friends. And I think the future is very bright. And I was talking to my colleague, Sharon Gadella, the other day about this on the news desk, telling her I'm about to turn 30. And she said that her 30s were her favourite. So I will take that to the bank. The next question comes from Laura Geitz and she said, what would you go back and tell your 18-year-old self? In all honesty, those years between finishing high school and starting my career are some of the most awful of my life. I did not enjoy that limbo phase of being a young adult trying to figure out who I was. It's definitely a time of my life when I could have used a pep talk. I think if I could say anything to myself, I would have told young Kendall that your past won't determine how successful you are. Meaning it doesn't matter where you grew up, how wealthy your parents were or weren't. It doesn't even matter what OP you got. As an adult, we're all equal. And with hard work, you can actually create the life you want. And I'd probably also just give myself a little glimmer of hope and say that your dreams will come true and it'll happen much sooner than you expect. So don't give up. And also take the holiday. I never took time off and like I didn't travel. And now that we're locked down, I really regret that because I don't know when I'm going to travel. So take the breaks, take the holidays and plan the overseas trips. The next question is from the darling Rod Young and he says, what's the most important thing in maintaining a good relationship? I love that Rod asked me this when he's the one that's been married for decades. Maybe not necessarily just a marriage relationship though. In my opinion, there's three things to good relationships. Communication, communication, communication. Okay, no, that's just one thing. That is one of the things. The other things are learning to apologise and putting the other person first. So with communication, in my experience, that is the single most important relationship tool, whether it's a spouse, a friend, a family member, your child, your boss, whatever, they cannot read your mind. You need to learn to express what's going on in your head and in your heart. Otherwise, you can end up really annoyed with each other for no reason. 
I personally do not like confrontation, but speaking up is really important for your mental and emotional well-being. And also, honesty can break down pretty much any barrier. So it's something that I practice daily, especially with my husband. Number two, learning to apologize. It is in our nature to want to blame everyone else for things, even when we're in the wrong, we'll always find a way to deflect and blame it on the other person. But there is huge power in self-reflection and acknowledging your faults. And I've learned to love apologizing first, even when you didn't do anything wrong, because life is way too short to waste time being mad at someone. It's like drinking the poison and hoping the other person dies. So apologize first even when you weren't in the wrong. And number three, putting the other person first. Easier said than done and definitely something I forget often. My husband, Tim, is a saint and he is the best at this. He is the most sacrificial person I know. He'll give up all of his time, energy and resources to help you just because he can. No agenda, just because he loves people. But we do try to live our lives with a mantra of how can I make the other person's life better? And it could be simple things like picking up his shoes and socks that he leaves all over the house again, like yesterday and the day before. Or he might unpack the dishwasher for me, even though that is technically one of my jobs. And it's just those little things that keep the spark alive and just nice to do something for somebody else every now and then. Next up is Jackie Toombus, and she says, how do you continue to grow your relationship with God? Jackie's a soul sister, so I'm not surprised that this is what she asked. My faith plays a huge role in everything I do, but it's all grounded in spending quality time with God. So how do I grow that relationship? Worship music is so important to me. I love to put on my favorite artists and just soak in the songs, just to lie down and meditate on God. There's no agenda. I'm also a woman of prayer, so I pray constantly and it means that I can let him know what's stressing me out or what I'm grateful for. And praying for me really just looks like having a chat. I'm always just having a chat (laughs) throughout the day. As a family, we go to church every Sunday and obviously I love to read my Bible, but also books about faith, couple that really changed my life, Benny Johnson's The Happy Intercessor, Danny Silk's Keep Your Love On, anything by Bill Hybels. Um, And I love to listen to sermons and preaching and teaching and yeah, a couple of my favorites, pretty much anything from Bethel, but Bill Johnson is just like a warm hug. I love listening to him. I love Chris Vallotton and anything, any message I've ever heard by Havila Cunnington. She is an absolute superstar. My good buddy, Nick Marchese from Orange Sky has the next question. He says, how do you balance TV Kendall and outside of TV Kendall with friends and family? And the answer is, Nick, I don't. I am still working on finding balance. I'm pretty sure we all are. My biggest issue is that I'm an eternal optimist. So I'll always think that I can get everything done, even if I've bitten off way more than I can chew. And when you're passionate and motivated, you find it really hard to stop and really hard to say no. There's always something kicking around in your mind that you'd like to do, even if you don't have the time to follow through with it or pursue it. I have found that I'm a lot more selfish with my time since Olive came along, which is amazing. And it means I spend more time with Tim too, because we both used to be crazy busy. Regular date night is really important. That's one way for me to balance my personal life. I also try to be intentional about catching up with friends, even if it's just a text to check in and see how they're doing. 
And one thing I've found super helpful for me with good communication, because all of my family live in other parts of Queensland, I ring someone almost every afternoon on my drive home. Bluetooth means it's super easy to catch up. But there are so many books written on balance and advice and ways to achieve it, but I'm not actually sure it's possible. So I just do my best and I try to be really kind and patient with myself when I am not nailing it. And it does often mean a regular rejig of priorities. And yeah, sometimes I'll be working way too much and I need to pull back and focus on my family. And usually when family and work are taking up too much time, it means my friends suffer and my friendships suffer. And that does actually make me devastated because I am prone to feeling a little lonely. So I have to really prioritize the things that matter to me and making sure I'm making time for them. Abby Coleman gave me two questions and they were both brilliant. I'm going to share the big one that she asked, which was share your ultimate career goal, the one you write in a planner that you think no one will read. And what is your biggest fear about reaching it or not reaching it? This is such a good question, but yep, I'm not going to answer it. (laughs) The reason is, is it's true. You write it down and you think no one's going to read it. So it is way too personal to share. And not just because I'm embarrassed or afraid to admit what it is or saying it out loud, but honestly, my career goal doesn't fully exist in the world right now. I have this idea or vision of what it is, but the current media landscape means it doesn't even exist. So it does seem a little wild. And over the years, I've definitely articulated to those that are in my really inner circle where I dream and hope my career would land at some point that would really help me to feel that sense of fulfillment and kind of achieving what I was called to do. But yeah, at the moment, um, it's just shifted a lot and it doesn't really exist in the way my mind or heart kind of plans for it. So I think we're definitely going to see shifts in the media landscape. And we've seen that even with social media in the past. So perhaps it's that there's going to be some technological advancement and that is why I can't fully describe it. But yeah, it's a little too personal to share. The second part of her question though, what's your biggest fear about reaching it or not reaching it? And this is something I actually think about all the time. Throughout my career, I've had to move a lot and I've had to make quite a few sacrifices to keep pursuing what I'm doing. And it means that I think about that in terms of the future as well. I'm not afraid of reaching the goal I've definitely done a stack of nerve-wracking things in my career and in my life in the past. And a lot of those happened in my early 20s. So at a time when you're definitely not as resilient and I hadn't grown up as much. But I think about the fear of not reaching my goal because I worry that I would almost die unsatisfied. Like I often think about being an old person when I'm retired and looking back on my career and wondering if I gave it my all, I just don't ever want to have a box unticked when I knew it was something I was desperate to achieve. And I don't want to have a desire in my heart that was unchecked. So it's more a case of when the opportunities come, I've got to make sure that I give them a crack, even if it's uncomfortable. And that's always so hard when people are like, oh, do you want this amazing opportunity? Yeah, but you need to pack up your life and move again. And I've just settled in and I've just made new friends and I like where I'm living. And then I have to start all over again. 
and moving cities and starting again can be a lonely long process. So it's just a case of praying that when the opportunities come around, I'm brave enough to say, yep, we can do this, we can do it again or whatever it is, having no fear and being willing to jump in. So I pray for that boldness for if and when it happens. And I'm just mindful of the fact that comfort, because I'm a creature of comfort, definitely, comfort and growth rarely coexist. So in order to keep growing, I'm going to have to get uncomfortable. The delightful Pip Russell from Juice TV says, do you have a process of setting goals or areas of focus for yourself professionally, personally, and for your family? I literally don't set goals. I am terrible like that. Sorry, Pip. At the beginning of the year, I used to write a little list on my phone of a few goals. There'd be, you know, a marriage goal, a fitness goal, a faith goal, those kind of things, different categories. And sometimes I would naturally tick them off across the year, but others I wouldn't. And it almost wouldn't bother me that I wasn't achieving anything. I need to spend some time with Abby Coleman, I think, because she said in our chat that she sets new goals every month. Every month. Can you imagine? Ideas and goals do definitely swirl around my head and I do find myself being inspired and having a plan and then executing it, but it's never something that I put to paper and work towards them in a methodical way. One of my amazing friends, Imogen, runs a custom timber furniture business on the surf coast of Victoria with her hubby, Al, and she is the best at goal setting of anyone I've ever seen to the point that this year they actually released their yearly goal planner for people online because this is something Imogen had created and has been using her whole life that she thought, you know what, other people might like this too. And she did up this beautiful design and released it for people for free. It was so practical. It broke down these massive dreams into bite-sized pieces so you could revisit them month by month because that's apparently the secret to (laughs) actually achieving things. And Imogen is literally one of the most successful people I know. I actually would love to get her on the pod. If only I could get into Victoria, but leave it with me. And she has very kindly agreed to mentor me. So I'm looking forward to setting some new goals and planning for my future with a bit more intention than I have been. And look, don't wait until a new year to set new goals. 2020 has been a write-off, so I think we should just start now. Maddie Sinclair says, have you had a blessing in disguise, a moment where at the time it seems disastrous, however, in the long run, you're able to look back, join the dots and see it was all for the greater good? I love this question. This is probably my favourite question, Matt, not to play favourites, but this kind of stuff happens to me all the time. I could tell you countless stories where I didn't get the promotion or I had to turn down an opportunity or I missed out on something. And I'd be gutted and I'd cry sometimes for days, but then something even better would come along. And it's funny how if I had have taken the first opportunity, the better one wouldn't have happened. One of the biggest examples that I can think of with this is probably landing my job at Channel 7. Long story short, when I went to uni, I'd moved from Cairns. It was a huge adjustment. And my ambition at uni was literally just to pass. So I barely participated in things like work experience. And this meant that when I graduated, I had no experience in in the industry at all, not just in broadcast, but in any media format. And I had no contacts. And so after graduating, a year and a half passed and I still could not get a break. Like I couldn't even get a foot in the door anywhere. 
And I thought that that time at uni had just been disastrous. I had blown any chance of getting into media. After all that time, I got my break. The producer of Seven News in Cairns found me on Twitter and I started work up there not long after. The point is, I thought that year and a half had been for nothing. And it's easy to reflect on it and talk about a year and a half, but like 18 months is a very long time. And when you're living it, it can be really disheartening. I genuinely thought I'd never find a job. And then even once I had, I wondered why the time was wasted. But with hindsight, the different bosses, the different colleagues I've had and the way my career has progressed literally would not have happened if I turned up a year and a half earlier. A lot changed in that time. And I know that I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for that one and a half year gap. It was a huge blessing, not just for me personally, but for me professionally. So I'm always really encouraging of young people who feel like they're in a state of limbo just to trust the process because often it's the best thing that could happen for you. Okay, now on to a couple of questions from you. One of the listeners says, what are some things you do for you? Finding time for yourself must get tricky. It definitely does, especially when you put a kid into the mix. I exercise six days a week, so Monday to Saturday. Sunday is usually the only day I have off. And it's not because I feel I'm forced to, but personally, if I don't get moving and get some like fresh air into my body, I'm pretty rubbish throughout the day. Super, super important for my mental health. So at the moment, I'm doing Kayla Itzina Sweat App program, and I'd often done Kayla Itzina's over the last 10 years. But the app is amazing because it keeps you really accountable. This is not sponsored. I paid for the app. (laughs) But when lockdown happened, I couldn't go to Pilates and do the other things I'd been doing, mostly because I didn't want to be in a place where I could potentially get sick and then bring that into my workplace. So I just stayed home. And it's been amazing because I've been able to stay really focused and knock out those workouts. It gets harder as the weeks go on. So I've been doing it for literally six months and I've only had two weeks off in that time because I got quite sick at one point. But yeah, I'm definitely not 100% myself each day until I've done my exercise. So as long as I can get that in, I usually feel pretty good. But how do I actually find time for it? I usually have to wake up an hour earlier. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Sometimes when she was going down for a morning nap, I would knock out my exercise during that time. My husband's amazing at making sure I'm actually taking breaks and doing things that don't involve work, podcasting, you know, looking after Olive and just actually going and having some fun. So he's awesome at helping me set aside time for that. But I usually find I need to create the hours myself. So often it means waking up early, but it's a sacrifice I'm totally willing to make. Emma asks, how did you feel when you found out you were going to be a mum? I was deliriously happy when I found out. If you've listened to my podcast on IVF, you'd know I was unbelievably stoked because we had been on a bit of a journey to have our first baby, little Miss Olive. And it's a bit different because the people who are like, oh, I took a pregnancy test and found out I was pregnant. What a surprise. That was so not my experience. I was hanging out for a blood test on a specific day, having known the process that led up to it. But I just remember the day my doctor called me and was like, yeah, you're pregnant. And I was like, you're kidding. And I just refused to believe her. And then even though I knew I was pregnant, I actually never really allowed myself to get that excited because it's still a long journey from that to actually having a baby, but I'm super blessed and she's here. So yeah, no better feeling in the world. And even if 
by different circumstances, Olive wasn't the baby that ended up here. It at least would have given me a glimmer of hope to know that I could fall pregnant because up until that point, it's just not something I'd been able to do. So yeah, it was the best. She's the best. And motherhood is literally the best thing that's ever happened to me. Any gripes about being famous? I definitely would not say that I'm famous, but I understand that I'm in the public eye. I don't really have any gripes about it. We're pretty lucky in Australia. There's, you know, I don't have paparazzi following me around and stuff like that. And that's awesome. And that's genuinely because I don't have that big of a profile. But the only real gripe would probably be there's just been a couple of security threats for me, um, be it at work or at home. And that's not super fun. And it's not awesome having to look over your shoulder all the time. That's probably the only one. And I guess one that I'm finding really hard is that I'm not sharing photos of my daughter online, which a lot of you might have noticed. And if I do post the odd photo of Olive, you often might only see the back of her head. There are the occasions where I will show her face, but I just never want her to be so recognisable that a random could be like, hey, that's Kendall's kid because I've seen her all over the internet. And just protecting her privacy is really, really important to me. I should do a podcast on that because that I'm super passionate about. Young people having no say in their public profile because they're not old enough to give consent for their photo being put all over the internet. But I guess it's hard because I feel like I want to share her because I love her and she's beautiful and she's so fun and joyful, but it's just not something I'm willing to do when most of the people that follow me, I don't know personally. So that'd probably be my only gripe. What is something you've learned while doing the podcast? I've learned so much while doing the podcast, particularly in those early weeks. I felt like I stretched and grew so much and I definitely felt like my capacity was not big enough to handle what I had taken on. But somehow when you are overflowing, I found a bigger bucket and my capacity has just grown immensely during this time. I have learned that there is a lot more time and effort that goes into things than people realise. I've learned that preparation is everything. I would never turn up to an interview and on a whim hope that my skills were good enough to bluff my way through it. The interviews that I've been most prepared for, as an example, Shane Webke's interview because he had an autobiography, which you could read if only everyone had written a book about themselves so you could read that in preparation. But the ones like that were my favorite interviews because you're super prepared and there's no curveballs, but it also means you can pull out the best out of a person because they've already done a lot of the reflecting for you. And I've also learned a lot of new skills. I'm a broadcaster by trade. I'm on television. I use my voice every day. But when you're voicing things without any of those visual cues, it's really different. And I didn't expect to love this as much as I do and to have to work at it in the way that I have. So That's been a total joy because I've found something I really love and I'm really passionate about. Have you always wanted to go into the television industry? I've talked about this in one of my previous podcasts. I worked out at 14 that I wanted to be a TV news reporter. So in short, yes, I didn't necessarily want to go onto television to be a presenter, no ambition to be famous or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, this is the only goal I've ever really had. And it's pretty special to be able to do what you love. I know that sounds so cheesy, but it's very true. Are you thinking of having more kids? Yes, we've always wanted to have two little bubbers. It's something we talked about very early on when we were dating that we wanted two kids. So 
Olive was an IVF baby. There's a chance we'll have to revisit that journey sometime in our future, but I'm hopeful that there will be another little bubba in our future. The last question comes from Kayla Connor, who's one of my makeup artists at Channel 7. She's currently on maternity leave with her second little bubba. She asks, what's one of the biggest challenges you've had to overcome in life or work? Okay, here it is. I have a major fear of rejection. And this is something that has played out in my life for decades. To give you an example, when I was a kid, I'm talking like six or seven years old, instead of asking my mum if I could have a sleepover to her face, I would write a note and put a yes and a no box down the bottom and write, please tick one. And I'd hand her the note and run away because I was so afraid of being rejected by her response. And then even in my career, job interviews and things like that would just cause me so much grief. But even on a daily basis now, when I have to send my script off to be edited and checked over, I am so fearful of the rejection. And I just live in dread in the moments between, can you please check my story and it coming back as being good to go? And then even something like my 30th birthday, I have avoided planning anything. And I was trying to work out why, why was I putting it off? And it turns out I was afraid of being rejected by my friends and that they wouldn't want to take the time to celebrate me. So rejection hurts and not just me, it cuts everyone really deep and it's definitely something I'm still working on. Kayla said, what's something you've had to overcome? I haven't overcome it fully, but it's something I'm overcoming on a daily basis. And I've just decided I'd rather keep asking the questions and get rejected than live in fear of getting hurt. Well, that's it. I'm out of time. Thanks so much for joining me for another My 30 Minutes Q&A. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the podcast if you're loving what you're hearing. I'm Kendall Gilding and I really hope we can catch up again soon.